Good morning. What a blessing and a privilege it is for us to gather this day together to worship Almighty God. We're thankful for that opportunity to join with you in that this morning. Hope that you will take your Bibles and be turning to Genesis, the 37th chapter. Genesis chapter 37 is where we'll begin this morning. We have guests that are with us. We're thankful for that. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we're thankful that you're here. Some that are traveling, some that are from our community, and we are glad that we can all gather together. Come to, as we have already, to come to the foot of the cross and recognize Jesus as the Son of God, to come and realize that we are worshiping the one true and living God. There are a lot of gods in this world, a lot of gods in people's minds. And yet we understand that there is but one God, and we've come for that very purpose, to worship Him this morning. We're thankful for the Spirit that has given us the Word of God, as we have it written for us this morning. If you would, take God's Holy Word and look there in Genesis chapter 37, and let us see an account, as we pick up there in Genesis chapter 37, about a young man that you could see him a mile off as he came to you. In fact, he was a special young man. That young man was the son of Jacob. He was the son of his old age, and he was yet another to be born, but this boy was special. He was special enough to be given a coat. It was a garment that was very special for him, and it would have taken, well, a long time to make. The dyeing process, surely, and the putting it together, I don't think Jacob probably sat back in the back of his tent and made it. There were a lot of servants, no doubt, that were involved in that, but he didn't just go pick it up at Walmart and give it to his boy. He had that coat made, and he was special in the eyes of him. And you can see him with the garment that he had, and you could identify him. You could identify Joseph by the coat that he wore, by the privilege that he was given by his father. And as you're familiar with Jacob's story and with Joseph's story, I want you to understand and think about, this isn't a flat Stanley. This isn't Joseph in a, in a kind of a fabric sense or even a paper sense. You kind of cut him out, you know, like flat Stanley is. You take him to different places, you take his picture we get that kind of picture when we look at our Bibles. We read the accounts of these people. But this is a young man who has a story that I think is essential for us and is something for us to understand about him. Pick up with me, if you will, there in Genesis chapter 37. And notice it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah and his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. In this account, what we see is we see the identity of Joseph. He's identified for us and for, in our scriptural accounts, and even now by his brothers, by this garment that he has, by this cloak that was being given to him and made especially for him. And the identity of Joseph really came to the point that that became his identity. Do you notice that? The coat that showed the special favor, that showed the privilege that he was given, and the honor that was given, and the love that was given by his father to this one son. Now, do you have any brothers? Brothers, do you have a brother and sisters or someone else in the family? 
Does it make you a little bit irritated if you feel like mom or dad has a little bit of better thoughts and better attitudes toward your brother or your sister? Say, well, that's always the case. I don't care who you are. If it's my brother, she always picks him. If it's my sister, why, she always gets the favorite. Well, maybe that's a little bit what we see from our perspective, but this is real. In fact, this family probably had some issues. I think they had some real issues before the stories finished to be told. But in, the, in this case, this is real. The fact is, this coach showed that special favor in the identity of Joseph. And again, I'd suggest to you, it has become his identity. And I think that's key in what we'll talk about yet this little while this morning. It's become his identity, and now he has his brothers and mad at him and angry at him. He's dad's favorite. He's, now he has some dreams that come about. We're going to spend a lot of time on those dreams. These sheaves that come and gather around his sheaves, and they all bow down to the, sheep, the, the sheaves that Joseph has gathered together. And then there's a dream about the sun and the moon and the stars that are around him that would indicate that it has to do with his father and his mother and all the rest of the children bowing down before Joseph. I don't think that Joseph probably had the idea of what all that was about. We get the 30,000 foot view. We look down and we know the whole story and understand that. But what's the reaction in all of this as this code identified Joseph and as his brothers then later bring it to their father? Why, why would they do that? Well, because they, he knows, they know he's going to identify it. And as Joseph had that dream that had been given to him, those two dreams, his brothers, it says in verse 5, hated him even more. And in verse 8, it says, His brothers said to him, are, indeed, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You remember what Joseph's age is right now? He's 17 years old. Here's a family with some issues. Mom, Dad, have you ever had a 17-year-old have a smart aleck comment in your family? You ever had a 17-year-old that always just acted perfectly? Well, here's a boy. He's got the privilege. He's got the honor from his father. Guys, you see the coat I've got? Guys, you see? Hey, by the way, Asher, do you remember that dream I had? Or Reuben, do you, you know that dream? Wonder what that could mean. I don't know if that's exactly what Joseph said, but I can't help but think that there are some things about this, not just the dreams itself. He told it one time and that was it, Right? I don't know. I've had some 17-year-old boys in my family and we've raised and some kids in our family that I'm not sure that would have been exactly the case. But this is flat Joseph, remember? We just see this one perspective. We see the very quick account and maybe that's a little different than what it probably was in a lot of ways. But he's identified. And of course, unfortunately, as his brothers take him, they throw him in a pit, they sell him off to some Israelites and traders and they take a lamb and they kill it, a goat and kill it, and they put the blood on it and bring it to their father and say, is this your son's coat? Is this, this his coat? And his father concludes that he's dead, that he's been killed by some wild animals, and as a result, he's gone, never to be seen again. But in this account, if you notice that there is something that changes with all of this, Yes, that Joseph is identified in Joseph's coat given by his brothers to their father, has identified him and had become his identity, I think, in some ways. What's the next part of the account? Well, look at chapter 39. 
We'll jump to chapter 39 and beginning in verse 3. It says, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did. Now, who's his master? Well, his master is a man by the name of Potiphar. He's been taken to Egypt. He's been sold to a man that is a high, high one in the kingdom of Egypt. He's one that is over a lot of troops, and he has a lot of money, and he has a lot of resources, and probably where he lives is quite heady and quite high. It's a place that is quite the place to live, but he's a slave. It's been a long, there's been a lot of things that's happened in all of this with all of what's going on with Joseph, but he becomes very important in this house. And the master sees that the Lord was with him, that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. It says, from that time he made him overseer there in that. Verse 6, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He's a good-looking young man. What does that bring about? It says, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, he has put me, put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor, ha nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her. I want you to notice that phrase, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Those are Joseph's words to the woman. Joseph has some things that I think we'll notice about him in just a moment. But that's his answer to this woman. Is that the end of the story? No, look at verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that she had left his, he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. There's another garment. There's another thing that is now in the hands of a woman as she seeks to tell a lie about him, and yet it's not that coat of many colors. It's another garment, and he leaves that garment that will identify him in her hands because he says, I'll not sin against God in the matter. I'm not going to lie with you. You may be the master's wife, and in fact, that's the point. He, you are his wife, and I'm not going to do it, not just because of that, but because you are his wife, and more importantly, I serve God. And as he leaves his garment in the hands of that woman, I'd suggest probably that indicates a couple of things. One is there's some maturity that's occurred in this time. You know, a lot of things have happened in this time period. Some time really has passed. He didn't enter into Potiphar's, Potiphar's house as the head servant. He didn't enter into that doing that at the very moment he stepped into the house. He was just simply a slave to start with. He was washing floors and he was cleaning up the messes and he was doing those things. But his master noticed the good things that came about when Joseph was involved. And he does become the master in that house 
of all the other slaves, surely, and those who are going to take care of the things in the house. But he has grown in his maturity, and I'd suggest in his faith as well. Joseph is no longer a 17-year-old boy in the favorite of his father, off talking to his brothers and off making the brothers angry because of the coat that he has and maybe some of the words that he says. But now he is there and this woman has grabbed him once again and has said, you lie with me. And he leaves a garment in her hands. And as he flees out of the house, that garment identifies him. And she uses it for that purpose. The garment that Joseph left identified him. But I'd suggest to you and say to you this morning that that was not his identity. You see, the garment of that many colors back in, back in his own land, in the Father's land, he's, it was the garment that had become his identity. There comes that dreamer. Well, I look at him. You can see him from a mile away. And he thinks he's something. The dreams he's had, he thinks he's really special. In fact, Dad thinks he's special, right? We better just get rid of him. We better kill him. No, don't kill him, Reuben said. We're gonna, let's just throw him in this pit. I'll, and Reuben's thinking all along, I'll come back and get him later and save his life. And he, when he t- goes away, they sell him off. Now he's in Egypt. Now he's just simply a servant. Now he's found in disfavor and he's about to go to prison because of what this woman that has his garment in her hands says about him. Well, so what? What's that got to do with you and me? What does that matter for you and me? May I suggest to you a few things this morning? And that is that there are some identifying or some identity garments that we need to notice in our New Testaments for you and for me. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a child of God, you've come and you have decided to follow Jesus. He's going to be my Lord. I'm going to serve Him and to make Him first and foremost in me and in my heart and in my life. Understand that you're identified by a garment. You're identified by putting on Christ as you became a Christian. As you put on Christ, Paul says in Galatians, the third chapter, in verse 27, I like the New American Standard, the way it puts it, for all of you were baptized into Christ, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We've put on Christ, we've, we've wrapped ourselves in Jesus. We've wrapped ourselves with Him around us and among us and in our lives and in our hearts. Not just simply of something that we will show only on the inside, but it's going to show in the way we'll see in a moment that it shows on the outside as well. You see, the word that's used there even talks about one of the things that Paul will talk about, and I'll point out here in just a moment. But notice that we need to be putting on the garment of being a servant of Jesus Christ, putting him on in baptism, baptism, coming and saying, I want to serve Jesus Christ, and recognizing that that's the way we begin that service to him. We come and become a Christian by putting on Christ and being baptized into Him. We need to then start living a life and putting on the character of Christ. We need to change the identity that we've had. Have you had an identity? Do you have an identity in the way that you live today? We all do in one way or another. If we lived outside of Christ, guess what? I had an identity. And it was an identity that was identified with Christ. It was an identity that had to do with doing the right things and doing and living righteously. It was a different identity. It was a different set of character. It was a different set of characteristics. And yet we need to, as Christians, have something different than that. In fact, in Paul in Romans the 13th chapter in verses 13 and 14 says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. Joseph wouldn't do it. 
He had grown in his maturity and his faith in God. He wasn't going to lie with that woman. We don't need to be doing that. It's not in immorality and sensuality, but in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If I'm not a Christian, I may gratify those desires. I may go out and just simply live any old way I want to live. But Paul says, if you're in Christ... You need to no, make no provision for that to gratify his desires. Your character needs to change. In Colossians, the third chapter, verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And the Lord, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. We need to, as Christians, as children of God, to make sure that we live our lives in humble service to Jesus. To have hearts that are humble, that are kind, that are gentle, and that are pure. To have hearts that are willing to get along, and they're willing to make a unity among Christians to forgive. I'll tell you what, I need a whole lot of forgiveness. I need it regularly. I need people that deal with me on a regular basis to forgive me because I need their forgiveness. And you know what? I need to ask for God's forgiveness. You remember what Jesus talked about there when He taught His disciples to pray? When He taught them to ask for God's forgiveness, He says, inasmuch as you would forgive another we, need, we won't get God's forgiveness without asking or giving the forgiveness that we need to give to other people. We need to, as Christians, to be those to recognize that I want the peace that is going to be in my heart. And if I'm going to have that, then I need to love other people. I need to be a humble servant of Jesus Christ. I need to bear with other people. I need to put up with them. Joseph's brothers wasn't going to put up with him. And he probably was pretty hard to get along with at certain times, I would suppose. But we need to learn how to get along with each other. We need to learn how to love each other. We need to make sure to understand that as Paul talks about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, that we are learning different character. He says there in Ephesians 4 and verse 20, he says, but this is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and are taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and to corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What that illustrates, Paul goes on to spend the rest of that chapter there talking about this putting off and putting on of things. There are things in our culture and our world today where there are even groups that say, we recognize that concept. You want to get off of these drugs? You want to get out of alcohol? Yeah, you just need to stop it, right? That's it. Well, yeah, you need to stop, but is that all it takes? Well, no. You're going to have to stop doing that thing. You're going to have to change the way you think about it. You need to learn a different way, and you need to put something in its place. You know what Paul just said there in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to there? He says he talks about the concept of we need to put off and put on. You didn't learn Christ in a, just an unproductive way. You didn't learn Christ to just say, well, you all just need to stop it. All that sin stuff, just stop doing it, Right? You ever feel like you're just told that? Just, just stop it. Why? Just, just don't, don't do it. Okay. Well, now what? 
Well, you need to change the way you think about it. I need to change the way I think about living my life. And I need to put something in its place. I need to put on the right things. And Paul talked about later in Colossians chapter 3, the same aspect. To put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. We need to put on that type of love and that type of character. But that's not the only thing that we need to wrap ourselves in to put on a new garment. That garment, that new garment, will include us being involved in good works. To change the way we live our lives. Paul says in Ephesians 2, in verses 8-10, through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are all saved by grace, by the grace of God. I'm saved by the grace of God. You say, that's a lovely picture. It is. It's wonderful. But He didn't just save me by grace and then set me off to the side perfectly and holy, hold in the place I need to be. No, He saved me to do something. He saved me to do good works. He saved me to show my life that is lived to give Him honor and glory. He showed and saved me to be a, one that could be used in His service. He saved me so that I could be one who is shown to be created by God in His work the work of His hands in His workmanship, and He created me in Christ for good works. What kind of works? Well, He prepared those works. He shows those works in our Scriptures. He shows us in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 14 through 16, we talk about and we think about the aspect where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So they can see your good garment, right? See how great you are? No. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The good things that I may do in the kingdom of God and my good things that I can do that God has prepared beforehand for me that I find in Scripture are things that need to give wholly the glory and the honor to Almighty God. And I need to make sure always to be checking my humility, to check and to make sure that I am doing it for that very purpose, and to make sure that I put on that type of garment that as I live day by day. What's the garment that I need to live and to work and to put on in my life? I need to put on the whole armor of God. I need to put on that which Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 there, to take up the whole armor of God. As I looked and just did a little bit of research, and looking at that term that is used there in Galatians chapter 3 and verse, verse 27, that is actually kind of more the picture, that you take up a servant's garment or that you're putting on pieces of an armor. And Paul uses that here in Ephesians chapter 6, taking up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, there, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
You see, it's an evil day. Satan's got plenty of arrows, flaming arrows to shoot at you. He's going to say you don't do the right things all the time. You're not doing well enough. You're not good enough. You're not the one that's never had a chink in your armor. I'll fire right there. No, he wants you to continue to serve. He wants you to continue to put on that armor, Paul says. You need a breastplate. You need to do the right things. Righteousness is the right wiseness that we need, the right wayness that we need to live. It is the shoes that will enable us to continue to go. You have a problem with a shoe or it won't allow you? I was at an event last night. There was a little boy. He kept running around looking for somebody and just run, or maybe he was running around from running away from mama. But ever so often he had a blowout and his shoe come off. He'd just keep running. We need shoes. We need good shoes. Even as Christians. We, but you know what that showed me? Is we need to keep going as we're traveling through this life. We need to keep going even as we walk through the dangerous lands we walk through. We need to make sure that with that gospel, that we realize that we need to make sure to take up that helmet of salvation and put it on. You see, Paul says we have a helmet of salvation now. We have a helmet of salvation that is to put on our head and to make sure that we can continue through and make sure you get that sword in your hand. Make sure you've always got it in your hand. Make sure you put it there and you always have it ready. So you can tell everybody else about it? No. So that you can tell yourself about it. So you make sure you know it. To make sure that I know it. And to make sure I know where to find the things that are the good things that God wants me to know from it. You see, there are things, there are garments that we need to put on like that armor. And ultimately, when that armor gets heavy, our lives have gone through a period of time, we'll have to lay that armor down. Because... What I desire is to put on the imperishable. What I want is a life that's not lived here. I want an imperishable and eternal life with Almighty God. For we know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, clothed so that what is, in, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You see, we get a little weaker in this body on a regular basis. We get things that don't work the right way. I didn't intend to use it, but that little cup this morning, I didn't think I was going to get one side open because of those old, what's becoming those old arthritic fingers. I've got the pill to show you if you don't think, oh, you don't have arthritis, you're too young. No, it, it's struggle, struggles that we have in life. And we have this earthly tent that is decaying. But you know what I want? I want a tent that's in the heavens, a heavenly dwelling place. I don't want to be naked spiritually. I want a garment that will last for eternity. I want a garment that I can put on that'll be that imperishable thing. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, there in verse 53, Paul says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, that mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want a garment that will last forever. And that one day I'll be able to stand in his presence with a white garment. Those in Sardis, those that were trying to serve Jesus, John hears the words of the master when he says, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. I want that kind of garment, don't you? I want a garment in white so that I might hear the blessing of hearing and coming to that throne. And Jesus saying, this is Shannon. I know who he is. Now, it was not because I was so good. I don't get the wrong impression by they're the sardis people who had not soiled their garments. They'd never done anything wrong. Oh yeah, they'd done plenty. The book of Revelation talks about that blood of the Lamb. They would wash their garments and they would be white as snow. It would be the garments of those from every land and nation. And that great multitude and no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You could see him from a mile away. And as he came, he came with that special coat of many colors. And it was a gift from his father. You could see him with that identifying or that identity garment. We can see him looking, as we look back, through the entirety of the story, that what God was doing is he was working a plan through lives that were imperfect, through lives that he could use to bring about his perfect plan that would bring about his perfect son into this world. And what we find in the greatest part of that plan is faith. Faith that those had that they were seeking in God. One other passage for you to consider this morning Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he had not received as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that is foundations, whose designer and builder is God, by faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of the sands of the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them far off, having seen them, and greeted from them far, and having knowledge, acknowledged them that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, verse 15, if they had been thinking that the land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire to better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Where is your faith today? What kind of garment are you wearing? Are you wearing the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put on Christ in baptism? You see, once you do that, once I do that, the garment of my life needs to be a garment of good works. Works that identify my character, the characteristics of being a humble and pure servant of Jesus Christ. Being kind and loving and caring towards other people. Because you see, I I love God first and foremost, and I'm seeking to love my neighbor as myself. Are you here this morning you want to respond to that idea in your life? You want to respond, come and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. We'd love to assist you in that this morning. If you as a child of God, maybe you simply need to go home and you need to pray once again and say, Lord, I've failed. I know I've not been doing the right things. I've sinned against you, but I don't want to live that way anymore. Maybe you'd like for us to pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you'd like for us to just simply sit down and talk about some things and see what does the Word of God say about that. How can I do the right things once again? You see, we've got to change the way we think, put off those old things and put on those new things. We'd invite you this morning, if you need to respond to the gospel call, to come while we stand and while we sing.